hello and welcome to another DOS Game Club podcast. This is episode 38 about the game we played in December last year, which was Ultima 7. Finally got round to Ultima. It's uh, one of the games that I actually had been wanting to play ever since we started this club. So it's really nice that we got round to it. Um, I'm, I'm Martijn, your host. Martijn on the forums as ever. Um, hopefully Florian will be joining us later. He's still on the train going back home. He kind of forgot that we are recording right now. So I, I hope he'll join us in a bit. But yeah, for now, uh, it's it's me and, and two of us very special guests who are very knowledgeable about Ultima, I think. So uh, definitely happy that you're joining us. Uh, first of all, it's it's uh, our DOS Game Club regular guest. It's Richard. Hello. Hey. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. I don't know about, about that knowledgeable, fairly knowledgeable. Yeah. I, I think you're a big RPG fan, aren't you? Um, I'm, I'm more of an adventure game fan, but mm. Ultima 7 almost fits into that category. I guess we'll get to that later. It does. Yeah, it does. Uh, and I think you've, you've played lots of Ultima games in the series otherwise. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely uh, an expert right there. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, go on. I'll take your word for it. We'll find out. Well, and, and, and we've got one uh, more uh, person joining us right now. He's a new member, actually. Uh, Michael. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Good evening to you. So I think I think you're a real expert, aren't you? I wouldn't call myself an expert. Probably maybe I spent far too much time playing the Ultima series for my own good. <laughs> uh, I think I played them all. Ultima 7 is possibly the, my favorite. Mm-hmm. The favorite of most people who take an interest in this series. Yeah, I, I remember. I think you specially joined just for this game, haven't you? I've been looking at the website for quite a while before, you know, even bothering to interact or to play the games. And I think I was pretty much just looking for an excuse to, to play Ultima 7 again. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, yeah, you've both played the games just outside of the club. Uh, yes. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll dive into this, but yeah. So, yeah, I, I hope you'll, that you'll just guide guide us, me, me and Flo- hopefully Florian later, mm-hmm. just through the game. Because it's I'm completely new to this game. So I just played it like during the month. That's the first time I ever played it ever so yeah this is a really deep game with a lot of things going on so i hope that you can can help us just you know make sense of it all so uh yeah let's let's do that let's let's dive into this game yes that is the proper direction to travel avatar into a new age of enlightenment 
Know that the time has finally come for the one true Lord of Britannia to take his place at the head of his people. Under my guidance, Britannia will flourish, and all of the people shall rejoice and pay homage to their new guardian. Know that you too shall kneel before me, Avatar. You too will soon acknowledge my authority. For I shall be your companion, your provider, and your master. <laughs> Um, I don't think this game was suggested on the forums just outright, wasn't it? I have no idea. Uh, Has anyone looked into the suggestion forum to see what was posted there exactly? I had a look. You asked about general RPGs. I think it's Florian suggested doing Ultima. Hmm. No specific Ultima. I didn't see anyone actually say Ultima 7 on there. Right. Yeah, we have a big uh, RPG thread and with with lots of great suggestions. I think we used that one previously for Wasteland, didn't we? I think Wasteland is one of the games suggested in that thread. Okay. But then that's already a year ago now. So, yeah, it felt like time for another one. Um we've we've only done very few RPGs so far. And I think we ran a, a Twitter poll then to decide which RPG we should play. I'll just look up the options real quick. Yeah, we had four suggested RPGs in the poll, and they were Albion, uh, Darklands, which I think, is that just the name of the game, or is is there more to it than just Darklands? It's called Darklands, I think. Yeah, by Microprose. It's a medieval fantasy game, uh, you know, Kingdom Come, which is supposed to be uh, semi-realistic. Mm. Darklands is supposed to be uh, very low in terms of fantasy, uh, right. things like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, also from, from 92, just like this game. And um, Dark Sun Shattered Lands was also in the poll, uh, which is the only RPG that I've actually played myself. So okay. I, th- I think that's the reason why it's in there. Um, that's, a, that's a D&D game, I think. It's, a, yeah, it's, it's, it's with, well, it's sort of fantasy, but it's, it's really more like, what do you call these these gladiator types? That sort of stuff. Not so much the medieval stuff. Yeah, it's based more, on the Dark yeah. Sun setting. And, uh, yeah. You know, most Genji games are based on Forgotten Realms. Mm, right. Uh, but obviously, Ultima 7, uh, the Black Gate, was, was the winner of the poll by quite a margin, actually. It got 42% of the vote, a little more, 42.5%. Most people wanted to play Ultima, so there we are. And I say Ultima, uh, the Black Gate, that's only like half of the game or something. What's up with that? The game is split in two parts? It's not really split in two parts. It's, uh, I think it's fairly self-contained. And uh, the second part takes place into uh, another, 
another place. It's really a story on its own. Uh, the problem was that uh, back then, Origin, the, the numbered Ultimas, all, you all used uh, a different engine. Mm. And just for once, they spent so much time trying to do the Ultima 7 engine correctly. Uh, they have decided to reuse it for part two. Right. So since it was not a technological improvement since, uh, for, since uh, Ultima 7, they just called it Ultima 7 part two. Ah, so so it's, yeah, it does make sense to use the same engine. I mean, mm-hmm. why otherwise would you make an engine if, if you're not making multiple games with it? But apparently they made a new engine for each game in the series? Yes, they did. Wow. The, back then, you know, Origin Software was always trying to push uh, to push the limits of what could be done with uh, with computer games, and this resulted in games which had uh, extremely high hardware requirements. Mm. So Ultima Seven pushed very far, and back when it was released, I think it was slow on most computers at the time. Mm. So they probably wanted to take advantage of that and release another game when computers did a bit of catching up. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Let's see if the are the system requirements uh, are they up somewhere? It's maybe difficult to find these things nowadays. Hang on, I've got the box here. I can have a look. Oh, that's <laughs> perfect. You've got a boxed copy. I have. It's slightly beat up, but nice. Three eight three eight six SX. Oh, that's minimum. Although, yeah, debatable. I expect. Oh, you could hardly start the game on three eight six. I played the game back then on a 486, uh, 486 SX33. Mm-hmm. It was just running at the right speed. I think anything slower than that would have been one, would have a terrible time. Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. But actually, for 1992, a 486, that's really already quite a high end system. Yes. Yeah. Because I don't think the Pentium was out by then yet. Uh, I think the Pentium was released in 93. Maybe 94, I don't know. I, I remember the mid-90s people getting Pentiums. I don't think it was because, uh, actually, if you try to run Ultima 7 on a, on a Pentium or something like that, the game runs actually too fast. There is oh. no frame limiter in the game. Ah. Uh, so it's fixed in DustBox <laughs> and it's fixed in Exalt. But uh, yeah. back then, it was uh, you actually had, uh, on newer computers, had uh, to use something called MoSlow, I mm. think. Uh, which made the game run at uh, an acceptable speed. Exactly. Oh, that's funny. So so if you had a, a too slow computer, it, it would not run properly. But if you had a too fast computer, it run too fast. You need, a, exactly. Like, you need exactly Richard Garriott's computer for this. <laughs> I think so, yes. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Um, so, so uh, Richard, you have a boxed copy. Is it, is it your original one? It's not, no, okay. no, it's one I bought. Yeah, I didn't actually play it until about mid 2000s, the oh. first time when I played it. So I was, I was always put off by that number seven at the end. <laughs> because be you didn't play the first six. Yeah, well, that's right. Because I got into the first one I played was Ultima Underworld when that originally came out. So I absolutely loved Underworld. Right. But I could never sort of jump into this being so late in the series. I eventually just played the whole lot through if years, years after the fact. Yeah, yeah, I I you know I'm the same honestly. Once I see a series that's got a way high up number and I haven't played any of the previous ones, I just forget about that series because yeah, it seems too late then to jump in, right? I mean, yeah, that ship has sailed. 
Well, it's, it's actually so, not, well, yeah, it's not a bad place to start in hindsight. Ultima Seven, so hmm. it's a sort of start start of a new trilogy and all that. So. Right. Okay. So, so you got into the game later, and then you bought the boxed copy through eBay or something. Yeah, that's right. But but when it was a little cheaper than these days, <laughs> was it was it a particularly expensive game at the time? Um, I don't, not, I mean, not massively. It was less than it would have been new, I think. Put it that way. So. Yeah, just regular. And, and is there any special stuff inside the box, like a map or or a? Uh, well, yeah, you got the obligatory cloth map, which started with Ultima Two. Yeah. So uh, the story with them was uh, apparently it's sort of famous Ultima stories. Have you ever seen the film Time Bandits? Uh, I have not. So, no. Well, for anyone who has, Richard Garriott was sort of a big fan at the time it came out. So he had a map of like all these holes in time. Mm. And so him and all his friends would go went along to the cinema and sort of sat through one viewing after another, trying to scribble down what this map was to get notes <laughs> to see whether it made sense or not. That's cool. And Apparently it sort of made sense. Yeah. They liked it so much. It basically, I mean, Ultima 2 is almost based around that, complete with time travel and uh, the moon gates. Yeah. Directly stolen from time bandits. Okay. And that stuff is also a little bit in 7, isn't it? I mean, the moon gate stuff is in the intro. I, I'm, I'm not sure how much it's actually relevant while playing the game, but the story seems to revolve around it. Yeah, I think moon gates have sort of been a big part of Ultima ever from that point on. Right. So yeah. there was sort of a there was sort of a, a quick means of travelling around the world in some of the earlier games, but hmm. they get a, they get a little bit broken in Ultima Seven. Hmm. Well, we'll have to talk about that in more detail for sure. So you played the game in the mid two thousands and probably beat it then as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, with a bit of help from walk, a walkthrough, I think. Hmm. I was rushing a bit, so I quite, I've, I've sort of always wanted to go back and sort of take my time a bit yeah. more with the game, which is a perfect excuse, I think, this month. Definitely, yeah, that's nice. I actually had a look at uh, a walkthrough myself. I've never played this game before. And I was surprised that it's not actually that long, even. It seems that the, the things you absolutely have to do in order to beat the game, it's, it's not as much as I thought. Uh, would be involved. It seems most of the content in this game is optional, so that's that's kind of interesting. I read about two plot lines. Um, tracking down Elizabeth and Abraham is the one big part of the plot, which takes you all around the world of the game, and the other one is destroying the generators that have to do with the guardians. We'll we'll explain this stuff later. But I read that only the second plot line is actually needed in order to beat the game, and you can skip the whole first one if you want to. Yeah. So that's kind of amazing. Yeah, you can't actually complete the, the first plot line. I think it's uh, you, you know you you actually it's it's more like it's almost like a joke. You know, you're sent to, to from <laughs> one place to the other, and then you're sent immediately to the next place, etc. And uh, I, I think they're just trying to move the player around, and uh, you know, to have him. Uh, explore the world uh, of Britannia and uh, th- there is no real point to it or, or maybe it's, a, it's an expensive joke yeah. at the expense of a player I'm not sure <laughs> yeah it, it, it feels mm-hmm. like that every time you arrive somewhere they've just left haven't they mm. <laughs> it's like they're in the other castle yes yeah. exactly <laughs> well it's, it is a sort of a good way to guide you through the map because the game world is quite large so you could be intimidated by it I I suppose. But you can also just totally do it on your own, right? You can just go anywhere 
and and do whatever. Yeah, that's, I think that's the beauty of the game. You know, you have uh, once you leave the first town, Trinsic, you have a uh, complete freedom to explore uh, everywhere. And I think it was what made the, the game appealing to me uh, uh, when I started it. You know, it was mm. fairly uncommon to be able to. I think it was one of the first open world when you think about it. Mm, that's cool. So, so did you play the game when it came out originally, Michael? <laughs> I think I played it maybe one or two years before it came out because uh, I got it, you know, in a, on a cheap CD version <laughs> called Ultima 7 The Complete and uh, it had part one and uh, part two, the sample tile. Uh, so that probably must have been uh, maybe uh, one or two years after it was uh, released. Right. Oh, that's cool. That's, yeah, sort of still in the time period. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you play previous Ultima games as well, or was this the first one? Um, I had bought a, a compilation of uh, Ultima Underworld 1 and 2, um, but I didn't actually play them much, because uh, back then I was uh, maybe uh, 11 or 12 years old, and uh, the language was uh, actually a barrier for uh, playing the game. Uh, I had a lot of trouble understanding what was going on right. in these games. So I'm not sure why I actually picked up uh, Ultima 7 <laughs> very soon after that. <laughs> but uh, actually, this time it worked and I got uh, and I got completely hooked, even if I had to look up a few words in the dictionary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, I was like that as well. Wasn't the game translated to French, though? It was translated to French, uh, not on the CD version, but I managed to find uh, the French version somewhere on uh, an abandonware website. Mm. And uh, it's actually fairly interesting to look at because, you know, uh, the game of English version is written in old English, mm. uh, you'd have full, etc. And uh, the French version was also translated in uh, old French, except they went completely all the way. Wow. And it wa- it's almost medieval in writing and it's fairly hard to understand <laughs> and uh, I, I remember i was playing the french version for a while and uh, i thought it i thought it was harder to understand than the english version <laughs> they made That's actually hilarious. a lot of effort doing that they it's actually very impressive how much uh, how much work they put in that the french version <laughs> but you know it's it was just very too well too yeah well. oh mm. but that's crazy it's because <laughs> The whole point of the French translation was to make the game accessible to French people. I think it, it was seems... in a way, you know, but <laughs> my God, it, it must have been very strange for people playing that and seeing these older, you, you know, even the spelling uh, was wrong uh, in a way mm-hmm. because it wanted to imitate the medieval writing. Yeah. it's uh, It was completely surreal. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, but but also the normal English version already has that a little bit in it, right? The old style. It English. has a little bit in it, but you know it's fairly limited. You you get used to it uh, very quickly. Yeah, you is you is replaced by who does about dust uh, things like that. Once you once you know all that, uh, it's a bit disturbing first uh, when you first play it, hmm. but you get used to it very quickly. The, the French version you can't get used to it. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Love that though. I mean, it's it's a bit difficult for kids trying to play this game, maybe, but yeah, it it yeah, it's kind of cool in a way. 
Yeah, it's it's funny because um, if you take the translation, the French version of uh, Ultima Six, uh, it also had a strange problem. Uh, when you start the game, uh, you are asked uh, things to take to look things in the manual, you know, for copy protections, and uh, they bothered to translate the manual, but not the game, uh, <laughs> which meant the, the words they actually looked. Uh, they actually asked you to look uh, to look yeah. at were not the correct words. Oh. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> typical. Yeah. Ah oh, well. Yeah. So so did you did you finish the game uh, back then in the mid nineties when you got the CD ROM? I think I did, but probably with the help of a workflow too. Yeah, it's it's really that sort of game, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, same as adventure games, as you mentioned, Richard. Which this this game sort of. Yeah, feels like an adventure game from time to time. Maybe maybe that's actually interesting to talk a little bit about, like to also introduce the game to listeners who might not be fully, well, who might not have played it or might only be a long time, you know, just just to update everyone on what this game exactly is. So let's see. Who who feels they can they can explain the game a little bit in broad terms for people who might be new to this game well i'll try <laughs> yeah sure uh, <laughs> um basically the game opens when you are taunted by a creature called the guardian through your computer screen yeah and uh you jump through a moon gate and enter another dimension called britannia mm-hmm. and uh, in this dimension you are the avatar uh which is the embodiment of the uh, eight virtues some kind of uh uh, I'm not sure if we can call it a religion or a philosophy that has been set in the previous games. Mm. And uh, when you get into that world, uh, you see that the, the religion of uh, the eight virtues is slowly starting to get replaced by uh, another one called the fellowship, yeah. uh, which is supposed to be uh, a much more uh, accessible version of uh, the eight virtues, uh, much more simplified and much more appealing. You start to investigate on murders that might actually uh, be tied up to the higher-ups of uh, the fellowship. Mm -hmm. So at first you are locked uh, in a city called Trinsic, trying to gather some clues about a murder. But once you do that, the game opens up and you have access to the the whole world, which gives a complete sensation of... uh, of freedom, and I think that's what made the game great. It's the ability to to travel everywhere, to interact uh, with absolutely everything on the game world, to talk with everyone in, on the game world. You, you know, you had that freedom which was uh, which was not there in other games, and uh, I think it, this completely defines the game because as a, as an RPG, it's actually not that deep. Uh, you don't create your character. Uh, the combat system, I think it's fairly simple. Mm-hmm. It was mostly focused on trying to create a living and breathing world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it also, maybe this is also why it feels like an adventure game sometimes, like a point-and-click adventure game, because it seems to focus really heavy on the story. That, and that probably also has to do with the fact that you don't really create a character. Yes. Because you're not just any generic character you're a very specific character mm-hmm. and all the characters are very specific people playing into this plot into this story so it's not just lots of guys with stats that are basically random and they just fight that's not really what this game is about at all it's uh 
it's it's a lot of talking to characters and you know diving into different subjects and and it's mostly a talking getting, game yes when you think about it yeah talking and traveling exactly exactly which is different from a lot of rpgs which are mostly well s- gaining stats by fighting right that's mm. yeah it's actually different from the earlier ultimas which focused more on dungeons and uh, uh, they actually had some very basic character creation uh, in the earlier ultimas and the combat was turn-based so you know there was much more focus on the rpg part of it mm. and uh, from ultima 7 this progressively went away yeah exactly so that's that's interesting um, I thought this intro was already really cool, by the way. I had never seen it, but it's it's basically at your own computer, right? This just yeah. your own computer screen, and then it goes all mm-hmm. weird, and then this demon-like figure pops up, yes. and he pulls you into the game. It's really cool stuff. Because, you know, they, they try to, to say that um, the avatar is not a character you control. It's supposed to be yourself. Mm. So they thought that it was maybe, uh, you know, a good idea to break the fourth wall and have a bad guy appear in front of your computer. You know? Exactly. Uh, it, it really works, I think. I think it does, yes. I read somewhere that uh, the game the game is really around this this uh, cult I think you can call it the fellowship yes uh, that's really central to the story and it, it pops up really early because like you said you you start the game in this town called Trinsic, which operates as a tutorial I guess uh, so you can just walk around and and learn how the game works and everything yeah and it's also a copy protection because uh, you can't leave Trinsic if uh, you can't answer the copy protection so I think it's another reason they lock you there exactly yeah yeah uh, it has to do with um I think the mayor who is running the town yeah he he keeps uh, the 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 he keeps the the door locked or something I don't know you can't just leave you need yeah something. you can't leave the town yes yeah. And and you have to answer these questions in order to mm-hmm. to get out. Which I, I suppose I, I I guessed it was the copy protection mechanism, but I wasn't sure because I got the game from Gog and it just came with this PDF with all the answers. So I thought, hmm, is this? I yeah, what is think <laughs> on the original version you have to put a layer on some kind of map and uh, on the cloth map, and uh, you have to use that layer to be to answer the coordinates questions, hmm. uh, which is impossible with a PDF. So they just give you the, the answers to the question. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't that easy on the cloth map. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> oh, that's classic. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's sort of the. Um, the, the plot stuff, but also I think the just the way the game works is is much like a point and click adventure. As in, well, you're literally pointing and clicking for starters to walk around, uh, and there's an inventory system which is also similar to a lot of adventure games, and also dialogue trees where you converse, uh, for conversations with characters. It's the mechanics are really similar to adventure games, aren't they, Richard? Yeah, it's. I think Ultima Six was like a bit of a halfway house, really, between the sort of full-on role-playing. We had an awful; it was very heavy on conversation, and you could avoid combat if you really wanted. And it's kind of Ultima Seven; you sort of took it the next the next level and sort of phased out the combat to a large extent. Right. It's it's it's, it's a lot about. I mean, it's basically it's still got the questing elements mm-hmm. of an RPG, but it's it feels 
doing a quest, it feels a lot more like the sort of thing you do in an adventure game. It's sort of go and talk to someone and find out what you need to know or p- pitch this item. It's not so much about going to a dungeon and kill this monster or whatever like some of the older games would have been. Yeah, and also this focus on, on conversation. I don't think you find that often in older RPGs as much. Maybe that's more from adventure games as well, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it kind of got into it came in with Ultima Four did that. So, I mean, it got more and more conversation. You got like a few keywords you had to learn. It's it's curious how similar in many ways because the whole keyword system really dates back to Ultima Four back in the mid eighties. Hmm. Right. They just sort of modernized it so you can use it with a mouse. But it's it's essentially the same system. Yeah. Oh, I I actually read somewhere that the dialogue trees are new in this game, but. Maybe it's not that new. It's new in the way they are presented, you know, but uh, but the, the entire system was very much earlier in Ultima 4, I think, yes. Right. Was, it, was this the first one where your party members were actually sort of chipping in the conversations? Or? I think they did slightly in, uh, in Ultima 6. Yeah, okay. But uh, that, that was more of the exception than the rule, you know. It's uh, just a few lines here and there in the previous game, but... Uh, Ultima 7, they really did more. And Ultima 7 Part 2, you have actually a much more party interaction. Yeah, because that's one of the things where you kind of you'd recruit characters in the older games and they disappear into your party. And it sort of just became another version of you, basically. <laughs> yeah. So whereas actually, you've actually got a sort of bit of companionship or whatever. That's one of the things that came in with this one. In this game, you, you just really see them walking around, don't you? They're just... There on the map, sort of following you around, except as long as they're not getting stuck behind a tree or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, it's interesting that the, this game it, it really emphasizes on the mouse-driven part. I, I was reading the manual, and it's there's a there's a whole page on dedicated to how to use the mouse and how to click things and how it all works. I'm not sure if there were that many mouse-driven games in the early '90s. I think mice were still sort of optional for PCs because not everyone was using Windows either. So if you were just using DOS, you wouldn't really need a mouse for for a lot of things, would you? I don't know. But, you know, when you think uh, about strategy games or things like that, you probably already had to use a mouse. Mm. But if you look at RPGs, uh, back then, everything was mostly, uh, you know, keyboard control. Yeah. So they probably wanted to emphasize on that because, at least for this genre, uh, for RPGs, uh, it was actually quite a step forward. Right, exactly. It makes it more... Uh, it's just easier, I think, just just more accessible, just moving and clicking as opposed to using all these key commands. Yeah, I think the, the interface, the UI, hasn't aged much, I think, when you think about it. You know, some things are a bit awkward, but uh, uh, it, it's fairly easy to pick up. Yeah, hmm. yeah, I, I thought so. I'd, I, I had to get used to it a little bit in the beginning. Um, but after reading the manual and just learning what the commands are, it's it's okay. You can drag and drop a lot, uh, so you can just drag an object and and drop it into your bag or whatever. And yeah, that's that's sort of modern, I guess. That's uh, and there's there's these windows as well. When you click an item, it expands into a window where you can see all the details, and then you can click stuff there, and it opens another window. So yeah, I think that all that stuff was. At the time, relatively novel. 
Oh, it was. I yeah, think. I think if, if you look at the interface yeah. between the, the interface of Ultima Six, uh, where the game world is just a tiny window and everything else is uh, uh, icons and uh, stats and the dialogue, uh, the dialogue part of the window. Uh, no, it's it was really something else. Yeah, well, yeah. The the game is also completely full screen. Yes, um, which is like super normal nowadays like why wouldn't the game be full screen but actually all the previous ultimas they were not full screen were they they were in a in a little window with with things on the side and things on the bottom yeah they were so yeah it's quite yeah. difficult if you go back to ultima 6 when it gets to night time oh yes all the squares around go black so your, your little window gets even smaller <laughs> yeah yeah so in a way this is like the the first modern uh modern iteration of this series this is yeah i think yeah the engine the engine was revolutionary i reckon at the time i mean it's definitely impressive yeah Not- notoriously difficult to get to run for people in dos for years afterwards <laughs> i've i've written down a few bullet points but you can probably tell more about this stuff um i wrote down for example that this is the first ultima game uh, not to use tiles so i guess previous games they had this grid where you could just move around the grid and that's it. But then you mentioned Ultima Underworld as well, Michael. So what's up with that? Yeah, the first entries of the Ultima series, I think Ultima 1 to 5, it it had, you know, a double-scaled map, Hmm. which means you had the world map and then you enter the city and the map changed scales. Uh, Ultima 6 was the first open world version of the game uh, which means everything was uh, on a single scale but uh, you still moved around on on tiles you know Uh, it was just like the previous game except everything was on the same map Mm -hmm. Uh, Ultima Underworld of course was in full 3D uh, so it was very a side entry but Ultima 7 yes is the first one that didn't actually use tiles so if you want to get technical it used tiles but very small tiles you know yeah Exactly, just like mm. almost like pixels. So that's yeah, yeah, exactly. So so just to get this clear, Ultima Underworld, that's a completely different series, right? That's that's almost like a different game at all. I think a- uh, when it was in development, it was not even supposed to be an Ultima game, and uh, they just you know got the license or managed to impress uh, to impress uh, Origin Software, mm. and uh, they uh, tied the Ultima game world to the game. But yes, uh, the first Ultima Underworld is a bit disconnected. Uh, to the overall stories of uh, the Ultima series. Uh, Ultima Underworld 2 is actually takes place between Ultima 7 and Ultima 7 Part 2. Right. So it's much more, uh, you know, connected to the story. Exactly. But it, it, it plays different as well. It's a, it's a first-person game instead of top-down. Yeah, the first five Ultimas, they actually, all the dungeons were actually first-person, so it, it kind of got split off into the two games when you got to Ultima 6, in a sense. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I actually played one old Ultima game, but I was really young. I mostly just watched my, my cousin play it. Who was, he's a few years older than me. And I remember this. I, me- I remember going into a dungeon and then it flipping to 3D. Yeah. But I'm not sure which, which game this was. I, maybe Ultima 2 or 3, I think one of those. But 
Yeah, the, the, all, yeah, they all did that right back back to the first one. So it's only it was only line graphics going back to Ultima One, but yeah. All mm. oh, right, well that's kind of impressive though that they had both the top down and the three D view in the first games. That's honestly quite impressive. Yeah, it was mainly well the, the first one. It was it's not that it wouldn't look that impressive if you played it now. But yeah, okay. Uh, but then again, it was uh, the first game. I think was developed by a single person, wasn't it? Pretty much, yeah. So yeah, I, I think Akalabeth was actually, which is now called Ultima Zero, hmm. was written in Basic on an Apple II, and it was completely done by uh, by Richard Garriott. Exactly. Ultima One and Two, uh, and maybe Three, he did most of it himself too. Maybe a little of outside help at some point, but not that much. Yeah. Uh, I think Ultima Four and Five was, you know. The um, the beginning of when Origin Software started to grow as a company. So yeah, and the games also grew with it. Yeah, it became richer in in terms of content and graphics and music. It it makes sense that it grows along with the technology as well. I suppose. I mean, computers were just more basic in the eighties, mm-hmm. especially DOS PCs. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the, uh, the first one written for PC was the sixth one. The first five were all Apple II originally. So mm, yeah. it was more, I think it was more about le- presumably more about learning what to do. You could do on an Apple II. Yeah, and that's even more impressive because that's an even older system. I mean. The Apple II is is really quite an old computer. Yeah. I think the original was released in the 70s even. Yeah, that's right. So I think so. That's Yeah, that's just amazing. Yeah, when, when you look at, at what he achieved with Ultima 5 on the Apple II, which has maybe, what, 48K of RAM, I think. You have this yeah. huge open world. You have town schedules. It takes account uh, of the wind, you know, for arrows and uh, ship travel. Wow. It's absolutely amazing what he was able to fit on, uh, uh, on a 48K uh, Apple II. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's always what we wanted to do with the Ultima series, always to push the limit of, uh, of computers, which meant that, of course, a lot of people had to upgrade each time uh, new one came out. That is really impressive, though. That's really cool. I think another notable aspect of this game is is the introduction of height levels, which, uh, well, you guys have played other games in the series. I haven't. But from what I from what I researched online, I figured that previous Ultima games didn't have the height levels. Mm-hmm. Ultima 7 definitely has them. Uh, you can walk up stairs. You can even create your own stairs by stacking items. Mm. Yeah, it has height levels, but... Um... Actually, when I think about it, besides, you know, buildings which have a first floor and an upper floor, uh, I actually think it doesn't have that much, uh, how can I say, impact on, uh, on the gameplay. Hmm. There is one scene, I believe, that you, you need to build a stair to be able to, to reach some place. But I'm not sure this is taken and used much in this game hmm. when you think about it. Yeah, I can't think of it being used much outside of that one instance. Right. I definitely wasn't there in previous games that I can remember. It did, it did sort of model objects in Ultima Six. Hmm. So I, it was there, you know, in Ultima Underworld. When you think about it, if you want to take this one inside the series, and which made actually the game much more impressive because uh, the 3D engine of Ultima Underworld was uh, more advanced than Wolfenstein 3D and things like that. You had height levels, and uh, it was completely a full 3D game, which some which was something you didn't see back then. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was kind of a dungeon simulator. That's what they were aiming for yes. with that one. 
it's it's a bit of a theme with Ultima. There's kind of there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Like even back in Ultima Six, like every object in the game would have a weight and things like this, mm. which would decide whether or not you can lift it or carry it and all this. Oh. It's it's there's kind of a lot of simulation going on behind the scenes. I, I gather at least well, I don't know about so much with Ultima Seven, but they used to build the engine first and get it to do cool things, and then build the game around that rather than the other way around, which is kind of novel. That's pretty much how they did the entire series, I think. Yes, that's a really uh, a computer programmer's approach. I think mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, just really focused on what they could pull pull off technologically. And then, well, the game was just an implementation of whatever they had. It's I, a lot of games are are developed the other way around. Although I think this is also this was more common in the eighties because just getting something to run on these computers was impressive by itself. So I think this this approach was more common back then than it is now. Yeah, I think uh, I think you know uh, the first uh, Ultima. Uh, what Richard Garriott was actually trying to do was uh, to have a Dungeon and Dragons uh, on an Apple II. Yeah. So he built that rule set, and uh, the first Ultimas had really bare bones stories. And as he went further, I think he wanted to to explore a bit more story wise. But yeah, he really started the program first, and then thought about the plot later. Exactly. And I, I suppose sort of tied into the um, the tile stuff that we talked about earlier, where, where the previous games, they were all on a grid, uh, and this game isn't. I think sort of tied in with that is the fact that the uh, combat in Ultima 7 is all real-time. There's no turns, there's no... Well, you just click on a monster and it attacks, right? It's just... There's not even really a separate battle screen, as far as I could tell. It all takes place on the normal map, on the the same screen that that's always where you're always playing on, right? Yeah, I always felt you know that uh, the combat in uh, Ultima Seven maybe felt a bit like an afterthought. Yeah, because uh, it's really not a combat game, and uh, as uh, as soon as you hit the C button on your keyboard, which enters combat mode because you are attacked or something else, you basically lose control of everything that is happening. If the party members start attacking on their own, your character is very difficult to control in the middle of combat. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you should plan before the combat. You right. should have should be properly equipped. Uh, you should be able to cast the spells you might need. But when the battle is started, you pretty much do not control anything. Yeah, it's sort of automatic. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think, well... Hopefully, Florian will will join us uh, in a little bit while. But I remember, I think this is the part that he had most difficulty with. I think he was still enjoying the game when it was just walking around in the town. But then, as soon as he figured, well, this is how you fight monsters, yeah, he sort of lost interest because what is what is this? <laughs> you're you're barely even playing. You're just waiting for it to happen. It's yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, most of the combat is pretty much easy. Uh, there are just mm. a couple of difficult fights that you can win easily if you are well prepared. But I had good memories, you know, of, of the game and I fairly, pretty much remembered how to do some stuff. So I didn't have much of a tough time, but, uh, you know, in some dungeons, it pretty much felt completely horrible because the monsters yeah. respawn too. So, so that's just a complete nightmare in some place. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It's literally, can walk one square off and one back, and yes. the monsters there again. 
Yeah. But. Although, uh, in a way, I also, I, I mean, I don't have much of a problem with this personally because I mostly play these kinds of games because I like the story and I just want the story to progress. And it's interesting when a character tells you something like, uh, oh, that and that happened there and there. It's just interesting to walk over there, see what it's like, see if you can find an item or something. So to me, that really is the game mm. in, in most other games as well. And so I don't play other RPGs as well for the fighting, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I, I kind of, I'm kind of with you on that. It's yeah. Going back to Ultima 5 was really combat heavy. It just, it spent hours and hours in these combat screens and it just gets a bit much. I prefer, yeah. And some, I prefer this approach for me. Exactly. Yeah. The, the thing with Ultima 5 uh, is that you have control of every character in, in the party. And there could be, I think, eight characters in the party, which made the battle take a lot of times. So I think they figured this was an issue and completely took off party control of uh, Ultima 7. So I think they went too much that way and uh, uh, it made combat uh, you know, a bit messy, I think. Yeah, I, but, I always liked it in Ultima 6 where you, you had a bit, the party took care of itself and you yeah. still had turn-based control over the avatar. I thought that was a good compromise. It's it's not completely out of character though that that the other characters in your party just can handle themselves. I mean, it sort of feels like normal that they can do that because you, why why would you need to tell them how to swing a sword? I mean, surely they can handle themselves. I think you can at least give them strategies. Uh, you know, mm. you can tell them. Uh, Attack the the nearest uh, nearest enemy. Attack the biggest enemy. Attack uh, protect yeah. the avatar or things like that. That makes sense. I think it's just the extent of things you can do. But uh, you know, it's just otherwise. It's just uh, give the appropriate weapon to the to a party member and hope everything turns on right. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't don't give him one of those stuffs that shoots fireballs. Oh my god! Get... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also read that um, the the other characters uh, can drop items. I have not not actually mm-hmm. had this when I was playing. I was mostly just focusing on going to different places on the map and talking to people. But I read that you can, when a, when a battle goes wrong, uh, people can like panic or flee yes. and they can drop stuff. So actually one of the concerns in this game is that you should make sure that all the important items that you own them, that the avatar has them in, in, in their inventory. Because if an important item is carried by a party member and he drops it in a panic, well, the game doesn't help you find it. So then you just have to look for it yourself, I suppose, on the map, see if you can find it again. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that can even happen with important items that are required in order to progress the story. So, yeah, I feel that's really... I am not well, that, sure I remember it that way. I think we can mm. drop uh, the weapons we have equipped. Yeah. But as far as items disappearing, uh, I think it's just a bug. Sometimes, you know, you have, you have items that disappear from your backpack. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the, the first version of the game, yeah. I did, that was, yeah, it got patched out. But the first version, you just randomly had things go missing oh. out of your pack. Oh, maybe it's that. pretty nasty yeah, in a game this size, because you might not notice. Yeah, exactly. And and you, you're typically carrying a lot of items. Uh I think just in the starting town, you can acquire a lot of stuff already. 
Already, so, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's not like a typical adventure game where you might be carrying, you know, 12 things. You're you're carrying way more stuff. So, how, how, how did you guys get on with the inventory with the backpacks? Because it's one of my little bugbears on this. Is trying to, cause it's, everything shuffles around in these bags. It's like little icons on top of other little yeah, icons. Exactly. It's, um, you have to really come up with a system, I found. To organize I'd it all. I swear it moved. I'd swear it moved every time I reopened it. <laughs> I, I didn't. I did. I don't know about that. Yeah, I think I had. Um, how can I say specialties for each character? Uh, the avatar carried uh, the key items necessary to the plot. Uh, I had another character which focused on food, another character which focused on potions. Uh, you know, uh, just so that I knew which character at least had that. Mm. Uh, but you know, trying the different keys to open door. Yeah, I spent far too much time to do <laughs> trying to do that. Hey, I think Florian's here. Hello. Hello. We're talking about the inventory system, Florian, ah. and how you have to manually, um, well, organize all your items. And, well, there's, there's quite a lot of items in this game, so that's a significant portion of the time is spent just finding the right item. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, the way they, they overlap and it's just yeah, a big heap of stuff. I mean, exactly. in, in more modern <laughs> games, you at least get a grid that you can then lay out. Yeah, but, yeah whatever. Yeah. Well, they all, they all do one other grid. But this game is all about not having yeah, a grid. Go back to Ultima <laughs> 6, you had a grid. This was progress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think this uh, they saw it as an innovation that, they, yeah, you weren't confined to this grid. You can place them anywhere. But then actually, <laughs> it's just to help at all. Um, I, I, maybe I spoke for my, before my turn a little bit, Florian, but I think you, you had problems with the combat in this game. I'm, I'm not really sure it's really combat that I had difficulties with, but, um, as soon as I left the, um, starting area, mm. this town, I forgot the name. Trinsic. Trinsic, uh, exactly. Um, as soon as I got there, it was all just, just hilariously fast and and hectic mm -hmm. like I, I couldn't even select my my units before they were dead it was just i don't know i i don't know if that's the actual experience that you're meant to have with the game or if there was something wrong with my installation but you weren't playing it on a pentium it, or something did, did you play it on dosbox or, or i actually had to play it on that dosbox this time yes so is that the issue so I think what is key when you play it with dosbox uh, is to set the cycles right because uh, if you have too much cycles uh, on DOSBox, the game actually plays too fast. So it's better to have the game play even a little too slow uh, and to be able to control everything that, you know, to get full speed. And uh, the game is basically unplayable, unplayable at yeah. speed. Um, I, I really wonder, uh, this game is from 92. They could have thought about newer machines and faster machines playing the game, right? Well, it, it worked perfectly on Richard Garriott's machine. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously it did. <laughs> So, Ultima 7 Part 2 doesn't have these issues, so they thought about it uh, clearly in the meantime. I see. So, Ah, well. Uh, seems, seems like we're not the first people to complain. No, no. Yeah. But, uh, on the other hand, most of the combat is actually automatic. So, if you just press C to go into the combat mode, then, well, it will sort of handle itself. You can still click to, to fight for your own character, but the other characters will just do the work so right well i i never got to that part so Meh. um i think i tried for an hour or so on the outside world and and i just gave up mm. frustratedly oh that's too bad oh yeah. that's too bad 
I played a little more. Um, got to Britain. Got to that's that's the 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 big castle town, isn't it? Where where actually Lord British uh, is is king, and I got to speak with him. Um, maybe this is a nice bridge into into well, talk a little bit more about the background and and who made this game and stuff like that, because uh, Lord British is actually the um, what do you call this? Like the nickname or something, like the 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 handle of Richard Garriott, isn't it? It is. Yes, he's also Shamino in both parties, so he's two characters in, he's uh, two... in the game. Okay. <laughs> and if you want to argue that way, when he plays Ultima, he's three characters because he's also the avatar. You know? <laughs> uh, so yes, he inserts himself in uh, everything he does. Right. Which is kind of fun. Yeah, I remember this from from other mm-hmm. uh, Ultima games as well. That is really, it's like by Lord British. That's really uh, emphasized yeah. in the title screens and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny to to see this alter ego appear inside of the game, which is the creator of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to to talk about this, the game was developed by Origin Systems, um, which is the company founded by Richard Garriott and. I think his whole family was involved, wasn't it? Like his brother was involved, his father was involved. Not sure about other people, but it was just 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 one other guy, Chuck Buse, hmm. who he wrote a few games on the Apple II and th- three games at Origin. I think he wrote. Okay, and weirdly, um, you'd think with with a, a nickname like Lord British, it would be in the UK, but it's actually in Austin, Texas, where the company is founded. So I think I think the story is that. Uh, the Garriott family and Richard Garriott was born in England, but then moved very quickly to the United States. I think I read somewhere that uh, Lord British was actually a nickname that had been given by to him by uh, high school friends because he had a British accent. Right. I believe. Yeah, I think it was something like Freshers at his university. They had like the... The SCA society, some sort of fantasy role-playing society that was there. And uh, yeah. they thought he sounded British for some reason, so it sort of stuck. So his character in this club is Lord British. And a lot of the people that are in that society are actually characters in the game as well. So people like Yellow. That's great. That's that's really neat. Yeah, that's cool. So, so Sham, the, Sham, the Shamino character that's in the game is what he called himself in that club as well, I think. So that's where that comes from. That's really cool. Named after the... Shimano. Gears on bikes Shimano is where he got the idea for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they still do them, I think. So that, that's where he got that from. Nice. That's cool. And uh, I read somewhere that they, they founded this company in 1983 after the release of Ultima 2. Uh, Ultima 2 they developed, uh, but it was published by Sierra Online, uh, which was, of course, doing all the King's Quest stuff and, well, you know, all their, their point-and-click adventures at the time. But, well, I read somewhere that Richard Garriott wasn't too happy with Sierra and the way, well, mostly that he just didn't get paid or not paid enough or not timely enough or... Yeah, I've seen... I've seen contrasting reports. Yeah. I, mean, so I think he didn't like necessarily get on with the culture. I've read somewhere as well. So this wasn't didn't fit in. Yeah, exactly. So so it was really a short lived uh, collaboration between Richard Garriott and Sierra. 
Um, it's funny because we actually talked a little bit about this subject as well when we talked to uh, Lorianne and Corey Cole, who created Quest for Glory, because uh, they were actually specifically hired by Sierra to fill the gap that Richard Gary had left because, uh, well, they they were quite happy to have this sort of fantasy RPG game on their lineup. But then Richard Carey had left, so they were looking for sort of a replacement. And that eventually became uh, Heroes Quest, later Quest for Glory. So this was Sierra's attempt to, well, grab this market still. Uh, but meanwhile, obviously, Richard Carey was wildly successful with his Ultima games. So, uh, and, and, and Michael, I think you wrote down that later he got to deal with electronic arts, but he also was not happy with them. So... It seems that Richard Garriott maybe is just a little bit difficult. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, you know, because uh, the, the relationship between Origin Software and Electronic Arts always seemed to be uh, conflictual, you know. Mm. Uh, I think Electronic Arts did well in supporting the Ultima series, and uh, I think it needed support, financial support, and uh, Electronic Arts was there for that. But, you know, Origin Software was so ambitious sometimes, uh, you, it makes sense for Electronic Tarts as a company, you know, sometimes you want the game out of the door. Yeah. And uh, this um, this went still okay from uh, for Ultima 5, 6, 7. Uh, when you get, think about Ultima 8 or Ultima 9, things got over much more conflictual. Mm, right. Yeah, because EA was just there to make sure there was money coming in. And mm-hmm. you know, obviously, taking a lot of time to develop a game is not per se the way to make a lot of money. It's a, mostly a way to spend a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ultima 7 is basically the last finished uh, Ultima game because uh, the, um, how can I say, uh, every other game that came next in the series had several issues. Yeah. Uh, Ultima 7 Part 2, for example, uh, the stories abruptly uh, shifts near the two-thirds of the games and it feels brilliantly unfinished. Mm. Ultima 8 also had issues and Ultima 9 was in development hell and rushed through the door. So mm. so that's why I believe uh, uh, Ultima 7 is so well liked because at least it's one that Origin Systems could finish. And uh, it feels like a complete product. Every other Ultima that came next, they all had, you know, great qualities. They, 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 all, they are all fine games, uh, uh, if you look at it. But, uh, but they all had issues. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it was Ultima 7 that sort of drove them to EA, because I think they spent that much time and money on it that they kind of had to get find a buyer. Right. Yeah, that, I, I guess that speaks to their... Um, real game development mindset though i mean that's not a good business decision obviously but i it's just if you love what you're making then yeah you're just willing to spend more money on it and then mm-hmm. well that's yeah that's the risk you take i suppose but yeah um if we go back to the beginnings uh their origins first game in 1983 was ultima 3 so that's kind of funny that the series was already uh running and and two games in the series had already been released with other publishers. Um, the first game, I think, Richard developed at, at university, uh, as well as uh, Michael. You added the the like the the zero one. The, what's it called? The Aka 
A Calabeth. A Calabeth. Was that also at university or even before? Because I think I think he already made games in high school, didn't he? He actually uh, he pretty much uh, iterated on uh, Dungeon and Dragon ports. Hmm. And uh, Akalabeth is uh, pretty much the combination of that. Uh, it's just uh, another version of uh, this Dungeon and Dragon board he did, but this time with wireframe graphics and uh, a very short story. Uh, so, so yeah, he didn't release, I think, any game before uh, before Akalabeth. But Akalabeth was the first game that pretty much felt complete enough for a commercial release, mm. and uh, he sold it at first, uh, I believe, in Ziploc, bag, Ziploc bags <laughs> uh, in a store. Yeah. And uh, apparently one copy ended in California Pacific or something like that, and uh, that's when he started his career, in fact. Wow, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, so I, see, I think he sold so many copies of that, he was sort of making more than his dad or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he ended up. That's impressive. Because he thought, yeah, well, it is. And he thought he didn't even intend that game to be sold when he wrote it. He sort of did it for his own benefit and for his friends and that. And it was them who suggested that he sort of put it up for sale. Wow. So he thought how much better he could do if he actually intended, intentionally wrote something for sale. Yeah. Which is where Ultima One came in, which sold even more. Wow. That is amazing. And it's 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 extra impressive that he made more than his dad because his dad actually had a pretty good job, didn't he? Uh, his dad was a, an astronaut at NASA, and he was on Skylab missions and and space shuttle missions. So, yeah, this seems like a pretty impressive feat to uh, to, to to make an indie game while still in school and making more than your astronaut dad. <laughs> That's, well, I don't that's, think astronauts are actually paid that well. Mm, I think it's, it's uh, it. I think it's one of those jobs that you take that you would take even if, if there was no pay involved at all, right? All right. Un- unlike game development, of course. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but still cool. Um, I read somewhere that Richard Garriott uh, got into programming at high school. In 1975, he apparently followed a basic course, which was offered at the high school where he went to, which seems like really progressive at the time. I mean, I'm not even sure if if high schools today offer programming courses. Yeah. So, <laughs> and he was he was well, he was brought up in a community of astronauts. So it's probably around NASA. Right, so it's not going to be a typical. Yeah, that makes sense. But I, I gather he got that much ahead of the teacher that he was basically allowed to design his own class which is where all these D iterations came in so he basically just had to turn up write his program and he got a guaranteed a at the end of each term <laughs> yeah that's great yeah i did i did read that he he was allowed to create his own course in programming and in the end he managed to create 28 games yeah, while right. in high school so so Calabeth was kind of the next one after that, which is the one that started it all for real. Exactly. And that's when he was at university, but he soon left university because, well, because these games were just selling like hotcakes. So, yeah, it's just, that's just what happened. Like I mentioned, they, they tried uh, going with Sierra for Ultima 2, but that didn't really work out in the end. So that's, yeah, that's when they launched Origin in 90, of 83. Um, they kept making Ultima games, but they also made other games, didn't they? One notable series by Origin is Wing Commander, which was led by Chris Roberts, 
who was apparently an employee at Origin at one point. Yeah. Uh, that's quite a notable name in, in game industry terms. And another one is John Romero actually worked at Origin for a year. So, yeah. <laughs> I think he That's did the character portraits of uh, Ultima 6 or something huh. like that. Yeah. I don't think he did much. Yeah, he was uh, maybe sure. he worked on another Origin game, maybe. I'm not sure. Times of Law, I'm not sure. I think he was before Ultima 6. I think he was like mid-80s or something. He's but... in the Ultima 6 credits. Okay. But okay. I'm sure of. But I'm not sure what he did exactly. Uh... Hmm. But it's still cool that they, that yeah. they had him. Um, someone also added Warren Spector to the list. Mm-hmm. Who's he? Um, <laughs> Who's Warren Spector? Well, just tell something about. Come on, <laughs> don't let me do all the talking. <laughs> all right. Well, famous Warren Spector games. It's a guy who did, was behind Deus Ex. It's probably his most famous one. So, he, he, yeah, he worked. He actually worked with Looking Glass on the first Underworld. Well, both Underworld games. Hmm. So he ended up mo- sort of moving over to them and working on Thief and Deus Ex. Yeah. And the like, and ultimately Epic Mickey, if anyone remembers that one. Uh, I don't. But definitely, yeah. On the way. Did play. Th- I know people are really into Thief and, and Deus Ex as well. This uh, oh, so Thief, Thief's a great game. Yeah. Was was the first Deus Ex... I don't think that's a DOS game, is it? I think that's Windows. It's Windows. Yeah, Windows. Yeah. Windows. Yeah. Came out in 2000, I think. Yeah, yeah. Can't, yeah. we can't cover that. <laughs> Although actually, we might cover System Shock soon, which is sort of in the same vein. So, but actually, I think it was already decided that we play System Shock in April. Exactly. Mm. So I guess we get back to that at the end of the show. Yeah, and Martin, yeah, yeah. We, you you missed a very important Origin game, right? That uh, has actually some DOS Game Club history. Ah, uh, you mean uh, the other Chris Roberts game? Exactly. Uh, Strike uh, Command. Command. Yeah, was that like back? Our third game or something? Uh, I think it was the fourth game, maybe. So, yeah. yeah, very early. Very cool. So you should all go back and listen to that because that was infant DGC episodes. Yeah, totally. They also... Oh, actually, talking about System Shock, they published System Shock. I, I'm reading now. Yeah, that's right. So that's kind of crazy. They also did Crusader, No Remorse and No Regret. Jane's Longbow, which is sort of a half-famous game they did. So, yeah, they didn't just do Ultima, is really what I wanted to say. Yeah, they did quite a few other games. It's basically Ultima that kept them in business through the 80s, I think. And then Wing Commander sort of came out of the blue, I think, and just sort of kept them afloat while they were trying to finish Ultima 7. (laughs) Right. Ultima was a big license back then in the 80s and the 90s. Really, it was really, you know... in terms of computer games, it was fairly comparable uh, to Final Fantasy in terms of success. You know, it was, a, it was. I think it was really a really big thing. Mm. And uh, Ultima was a flagship of uh, of Origin. It's pretty crazy when you think the series just died and uh, it's now uh, completely uh, almost forgotten by uh, by Electronic Arts. Yeah, it was pretty big even after Seven, though, with Ultima Online. I think. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty huge. I think before World of Warcraft, probably the biggest online game. Yeah, it's still going on. It's still online. There are still official servers, you know. So I think it's uh, 25 years old, I believe. Yeah. So they did the 25th anniversary recently. Hmm. So yeah, it's quite a fit. Wow, yeah. 
So, so what happened <laughs> later? This, yeah. There's also Ultima Nine, which um, was the first real RPG that I ever played, and I think it's a good game. And this is a hill I will die on if I have to. The the fact that Ultima Nine is a good game. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, it's a it is a good game. Yeah. It's not a good Ultima. Hmm. Uh, Actually, I think Michael, you you have some relation to Ultima Nine in a way. Um, you wrote down here you worked on a remake of this game. I worked on a remake for far too long, considering it didn't. It was not finished. Oh. Yes. Uh, what can I say? I actually liked Ultima Nine, but the story and some gameplay elements were not uh, what most Ultima fans back then had in mind. And Bob White, which worked on uh, Ultima 9, but which led the team among development. Around the time the game came out, he posted on a Usenet forum a plot summary of uh, what was supposed to be the story of Ultima 9. And it was much more in-depth, and it was a much more fitting conclusion to the series. So at some point, I was discovering RPG Maker, which was a fairly basic, uh, back then, uh, RPG-making program. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I did a demo on on three days of uh, of the first dungeon and maybe the first town based on that stories of Blob White. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, there was quite a positive reaction to that. Nice. So I expanded then to uh, to a newer version of, of RPG Maker and some people joined the team, you know. Mm. And uh, it was, uh, I remember I did the first town and had a town schedules, features like that, you know, weather system. But it was a lot of work. Mm. So we decided to switch to another engine. And mm. uh, uh, what can I say? There were disagreements uh, yeah. with the team and uh, not everyone. Some people, I think, were m- maybe a bit too ambitious about yeah. what we were trying to do. So I tried to do the project in using Neverwinter Nights uh, as an engine. And uh, I think I worked a couple of years on that iteration and just gave up at some point. Oh, yeah. But still a good effort. I mean, it's still, it seems like you really dove into the whole thing and and the the development of ultima 9 is very interesting because a lot of things went wrong and um it's pretty much ironic because uh uh, the things that went wrong uh i pretty much thought i could avoid them because uh, i was doing this uh, uh, on my part time and uh it was you know an effort that was not uh, uh, pushed by money. And Mm -hmm. pretty much every single problem that the Ultima 9 team encountered, we encountered. (laughs) Because uh, the team had different vision. Uh, The technology we used, the the engine shift, um, created problems that uh, we didn't foresee and things like that. So pretty much the same thing happened to to the remake, uh, to my remake than to the uh, final game. Yeah. Except, of course, the final game came out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but still, yeah. Um... But that's really cool. Really cool to hear, though, that you that you worked on this. What what happened later? That's not entirely clear to me. Um, the the early history of Origin and and Richard's efforts are all pretty well documented. But well, at one point, um, things sort of fell apart, didn't they, for the Ultima series? So what happened? I mean, they kept making Ultima games and they made Ultima Online as well. So what happened after that? Uh, I think it starts in Ultima 7 Part 2. That's uh, true. I, I don't... 
I don't want to spoil the game, but there is a definite point in the story where uh, everything gets broken. Mm. Basically, uh, what they do uh, to, to the world is they come up with an excuse to kill every character mm. on the world map. And uh, nothing makes sense because uh, the, the characters you ca- that are still around uh, don't seem to be aware that everyone on the world is dead, you know. So... Uh, from that moment when you play that game, Ultima 7 Part 2, something things very off. Mm. And it happens again in Ultima 8, except uh, it's even more serious than with Ultima 8. Because if you look at the features of Ultima 7, there are, Ultima 8 is actually a much more simpler game. Mm. Uh, except, of course, it's, uh, it's better visually. And uh, Ultima 9 goes even further than that in the problems with a barely, really bare-bone story and uh, a broken engine that uh, that makes the game actually more look like uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time than uh, an actual Ultima. So uh, they probably were too ambitious. That's a, an interesting problem, though. I mean, if if the complaint is that it's like Zelda Ocarina of Time, the the best Zelda ever. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a weird problem. That's why I believe Ultima Nine is actually a good game on its own, but it's completely different from what people expected. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so what happened after all this? Then, I mean, I, I read something about recent uh, efforts called Shroud of the Avatar. Oh yes, which which was a Kickstarter thing, but it's well. It was supposed to be a successor to Ultima, but uh, didn't really work out, did it? It's still around. Uh, it's basically Ultima 10. If you think about the stories, they, they really didn't get the rights to Ultima. But if you look at the stories, hmm. they try to go around it and make sure that people know that it's actually Ultima 10. But uh, what can I say? Uh, the development focus was very strange uh, because the Kickstarter pretty much promised a single-player Ultima with online features. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, then you, you start receiving the Kickstarter updates and you see that they pretty much want to do another Ultima online and mm. to sell virtual properties. Right. And uh, I pretty much didn't play the game uh, when it was in alpha and beta, but when I played the final released game... It was uh, completely unfinished. It's really, it's really bad. Nothing is working properly. Yeah. They try to sell you uh, stuff uh, at every minute in the game. It's lacking in content. Uh, it's supposed to be five episodes. Only uh, the first episode is out so far. And no sign of episode two is coming around. Mm. It was really, I think it was poorly managed. Yeah, that's no good, is it? Yeah, it was, it's very ambitious, wasn't it? It's... It's, the world just feels empty, I think, is the biggest problem I had when I tried to play it. It's sort of set up for this massive online community that doesn't really exist. And you're running around all these villages with like for sale signs on every property. Yeah, you, you, you can tell when you when you wander on the world map. It's, it's a huge game. Big, isn't there it? are hundreds of cities and the cities are huge, yeah. but there are nothing the cities mm. the, the, the main city uh, i think uh, Brittany uh has uh, i don't know hundreds of buildings and, abs- and and i remember in some areas there is no one to interact with it's really you know a, a disaster when you play when you play it. 
it's a it's a far too ambitious game, and we couldn't fill it with content. Yeah, if it just make it ten times smaller and mm. concentrate on getting. I mean, there's little bits in there that feel filled out, and you could almost see where it might have worked. Then you'll just get to some empty area, and it just loses me again. Yeah, mm, so, that's a shame. Um, so that's not officially an ultimate game, although it it it, it kind of is because it's actually made by Richard Garriott and and. It's made by Lord British. Yeah. He actually bought the rights for the Lord British character. Ah. And uh, it, it's a bit funny because, um, what can I say? He pretty much acted, Richard Gallagher pretty much acted like he was uh, the one helming the game. Uh, when you look at it, it's not so clear. And even his character, Lord British, is missing from the mm. game. Uh, he's in the story, but he's not there. Right. You know? So maybe you, you can draw a parallel to what happened during the development of the game if you wanted to keep some distance, maybe. And uh, it, it's pretty unclear what went on. Yeah. But um, EA still has the rights to the Ultimate name, yes. but they haven't actually released any Ultimate games, or have they? They did. Yeah, it's been a couple. They okay. did. Uh, after Ultima Nine, they tried to do Ultima Online Two, which completely killed Origin. Right. Then they tried to do Ultima Ten, which was another uh, multiplayer game, and uh, which was killed because they didn't want it to compete with Ultima Online. Uh, they did Lords of Ultima, which was a web-based game which had actually nothing to do with Ultima. And uh, they did Ultima Forever, which was an iPhone game, which was some free-to-play stuff on uh, on the iPhone, mm. and uh, which was killed uh, at some point. But that one actually came out and was playable for a while. Mm, right. But they didn't make any actual single-player, like, proper Ultima games. They wanted to make one for the Nintendo DS. Okay. I believe there was some uh, some leak about that, but uh, it was at, uh, you know, they were on full production, mm. I think. Right. Okay. Well, I guess that's the story of the rise and fall of Origin, uh, if you can call it that. Yeah. Kind of interesting period, though, in game industry history, I think. Yeah, in the 80s with all these systems being developed and all these computers coming out and uh, lots of progress. And yeah, yeah, they were right there along with uh, Sierra and everyone. So that's cool. I think Kelly. I think it was like a story of this cancelled projects for them at the end of the 90s. This, a lot of things got started and didn't get finished. Mm. I think with the success of Ultima Online, I think EA quite fancied turning them into an online company. That's one of the problems that happened with Ultima 9. With a t- a lot, I think the team got pulled off completely onto Ultima Online at one point and then ended up starting from scratch again and building it in 3D. I think they had an isometric one sort of halfway done. Mm. Yeah. Before that, and there's, there's things like Privateer Online got started and never got finished, unfortunately. Yeah, it could have been really cool, but there were lots of big games that were never finished in the late 90s, I remember. Things like, uh, you know, the Duke Nukem successor that never was, and... Uh, <laughs> well, we got it eventually, well, sort of. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> and also one of those John Romero shooters, which was really poorly received, I think. Oh, Daikatana. Daikatana. Yeah. I've still not applied that. So it was a weird time for games when they yeah. were trying big things and then failing. So, yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well, you live and learn, I suppose. But yeah, cool, cool company done regardless. And and, and probably uh, we'll encounter more games by them uh, as we go on because 
yeah, they made loads of go- games for DOS and, and loads of good ones as well. So Yeah, I guess we'll have to play Wing Commander sooner or later. Definitely. Definitely. You have to get Ben back on for that. It's Mr. Wing Commander. <laughs> now, what are other things to talk about? I think it's inter- interesting to look at the art style and like the graphics and the music and all that sort of stuff because we haven't really talked about that at all. Um, I think the game runs in VGA probably, like 320. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Yeah. I'm not sure which which of the many VGA modes it actually uses, but it's a VGA mode for sure. Yeah. So it's some 320 to 65 colors, something like that. Um, and it has a top-down perspective. Is, the, is this the last Ultima game to have that? I, or do next games also have that? Uh, Ultima 8 is... <laughs> Uh, tilts the point of view a little bit, but uh, it's still, uh, you know, pretty much similar. Hmm. Uh, Ultima 9, they wanted to do uh, the same thing with uh, then, uh, Ultima 7, but in 3D, meaning you could rotate the camera. Yeah. Uh, however, at some point during development, they figured, uh, they learned about 3D acceleration. Hmm. So they tried to implement that into the game, and it made the game so much smoother than they wanted to have the graphics be more impressive, and they went they adapted the engine to switch to a third-person yeah. point of view. So, yes, uh, I think Ultima 8 still did that, but Ultima 9 pretty much gave up on yeah. the, the point of view. The, the perspective in Ultima 7, it's, mm-hmm. it's really strange, right? Yeah. You're, it's, it's something that um, you really have to look at a screenshot because it's something that you're absolutely not used to in any modern game. And even Ultima 8 actually switched to a proper isometric view that, that mm-hmm. gamers nowadays are very much more familiar with, with. And that actually looks decent. I mean, the graphics themselves, they look really great. But this perspective where everything is weirdly tilted to the top left, it's, you know, it's, it, it's just... Yeah. Weird. It reminds me of those medieval medieval paintings. I don't I don't know if you've ever saw one where there's like people drawn from the side, but also things drawn from the top, and they're just next to each other, and it's it doesn't work, and it's yeah. I, I remember there's a, at the start of the game there's a horse in a field. Yeah, and it looks uh, it looks dead. Yeah, but then it starts walking away <laughs> because you think it, it's laying on its side, but it's actually. Not no. it's <laughs> <laughs> things are from the top and from the side and uh, it's really weird. I, I had the it's, same. It, it, I think you first encounter a, a horse in this um, bloody uh, farmhouse or whatever it was. Yeah, <laughs> the, thought, mur- oh, the murder scene. Yeah, yeah. The, the poor poor horse. It's murdered too, <laughs> and then it starts walking around like, what is going what? on here? <laughs> Yeah, it's really strange. Well, I, but you kind of get used to it, though. Yeah, you, I mean, you get used to it. But they, they fixed it at Ultima 8, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. But it's otherwise, I think it's pretty good uh, pixel art. Like, the characters are pretty good. Oh, yes, good. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And yeah, so otherwise it looks pretty good. What I well, could except, not... Except, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe you're aiming at the same thing now. Uh, Probably. Do you want to talk about the font? Oh, yes. yes. That's something I could not get used to. It's just... It's unreadable. <laughs> yeah, it's basically on. Yeah, it, it it reads the same way as the voiceover sounds, and <laughs> <laughs> I mean the, the the this 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 weird uh, is it actual proper ancient English or is it, is mm. it just something they made up? I, I don't actually know because I'm no no. Let us chuck the odd in that way. I think. Yeah, it's a bit fake yeah. old English, but that's not even the biggest problem. The biggest problem is just it's really hard to just read the letters. Yeah. But there, there's a solution for that, right? Well, 
Yeah, there's a patch. Yeah, you, you can, can just patch install it. a different font file, and then suddenly the game becomes playable, and that's hmm. that's not a bad thing to do. No, I no. think it might have been more readable, you know, on a smaller screen than on mm. CRT screens. I think oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but because I don't remember to have an issue uh, back then when I first played it, but it's true when I tried to get uh, to get into it uh, last month or so, uh, it was just difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess on a, on a CRT, the pixels all blur a bit mm-hmm. in, into each other. And actually, before I heard about there being a, a different font that you could install, I actually just squinted my eyes and the text <laughs> became more readable. <laughs> yeah, I, I used a filter, which also helps a little bit to just smooth it all out a bit so yeah i think it works better on a crt you're right but yeah playing it now on a modern screen it's really difficult so yeah and i thought was what was pretty fun is that some of the text like this is the normal game text when you talk to people that's that's what we're talking about now but some other text like things on signs they're not readable at all they're in like these weird runes and you have to look up what they say in the manual so if there's an inn or something you want to know the name of the inn then well, you can't read that in the game. You have to look up in the manual what the name is because there's just a few lines on this on the sign, right? Yeah. Unless there's some kind of Ultima special language that you can learn, but I'm not sure. No, no it's it's in the manual. You have to actually look in the manual. Yeah. But I actually like what they did story wise uh, with that because you have a you know the fellowship. Hmm. Uh, which is trying to uh, change traditions and um, and to be more accessible to the people. And their buildings, if you click on the signs of the buildings, they're written in, uh, how can I say, in Latin ty- typeset, hmm. so, so you can understand straight away. Yeah. So, and in the manual, I believe, which is written by the bad guy uh, of the game, Batman, oh. If you, he actually criticized that, uh, that old runic writing, uh, as being, uh, very elitist. Right. So they, they actually bothered to add this to, to game world and to the story. So I think it's pretty nice what, what, what they tried to do with that. Yeah, that is cool. It's, it's also not the first time that we encounter a game that contains a, a secret writing. No. Um, but we've played Commander Keen before. Oh, yeah. You can learn the standard galactic alphabet, which is yeah. pretty similar in in the way that it's presented. So, like, you you can just... I mean, nowadays you can just look it up, but back then yeah. you had to somehow learn what it all meant. Mm-hmm. I feel that's, that's pretty similar. Hmm. Yeah, and it's it's just cool to have this weird scribblings but you can decipher. I don't know. I always like that stuff. That's always cool. Um, now, in term of, terms of the audio, I, I personally, I really like the music. It's um, it's this OPL MIDI style. It's just, yeah, playing through the whatever, whatever sound device you have attached. But it's playing this, uh, I would say, fantasy orchestral medieval style stuff. And it's pretty cool. Mm. So, and there's, there's almost... Music throughout the game, isn't there? I thought it was pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, it's it's, it's silent quite a bit of the time. It's like it like kick, kicks off when you go and walk to a certain area. If you if you play through the whole thing, there isn't that much music. Hmm. So you will be hearing the same things an awful lot. Hmm. Maybe just the but, the one month that we played it, I wasn't but, exposed well, to. It's, it's, it's probably any game this size that's going to be a problem. I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but still. I thought it was, yeah, well done and pretty cool. I wrote down there's no speech, but that's not entirely accurate. But uh, like all the normal conversations you have, those are not voiced. 
those are just text on the screen. Um, but there is some some speech occasionally, uh, notably the Guardian pointing you in the right direction, things like that. Yeah, he's the only uh, character that talks actually uh, yeah. in the Ultima Seven. Mm-hmm. Ultima Seven Part Two had more characters that could do that, I believe. Uh, Ultima Eight. Two, uh, uh, Ultima 8, uh, most characters was also uh, uh, text only, but there are few. I think they sold the speech pack. Yeah, know? that's right. It was, yeah, a, it was an expansion that, uh, that added voiceovers to, uh, to several characters. Uh, and Ultima 9 went from talking. Right. Yeah, it was too early also for these things, weren't they? It's 92. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah no chance. Hmm. I think the game already shipped on like six discs, I think. And uh, adding adding voice back then used just a lot of, of space, and it was not quite the CD era yet. No, exactly. It's, you need CD ROM for that, and and yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. Actually, I think Ultima Six uh, had a Japan only uh, CD version, huh. which was actually dubbed in English, the FM Towns version. Oh, I think. that's that's cool. That's really cool. You haven't heard the acting, so you, you might disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Ah <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but I feel I I think I I quite like that old style of you know basically amateurs just uh, trying their yeah, best. Anyone who's in the office, we well, get Richard yeah. Garrett playing himself anyway. So. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that's super he, he really sounds like like a game master, like a dungeon master, um, right? I guess he is. <laughs> with, with I mean, yes, but also the the way that that the entire intro and stuff is is voiced, it really sounds like like a guy sitting in front. Um, with all the other players uh, mm. around the, the the table, and he's like, yeah. you're, "You're going to blah blah," and then with some yeah. reverb in the voice and all that. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's cool, silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, we did we did talk a, a little bit about all the the different releases and sequels of the Ultimate series already. Um, we didn't talk a whole lot about the part two, I think, but that was also not the focus. But yeah, they they did a a part two called Serpent Isle, which uses the same engine as you mentioned, Michael. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a different story, isn't it? It's a different story, and it's a pretty different game. It's much more focused on story than Ultima 7. Uh, Even more? Yes, definitely more. It's also more linear, you know. Uh, mm. You can't explore the world the same way you can do in... Uh, than uh, in Ultima 7. Also, it's still open-ended. But it's really focused on stories and uh, it's really telling a very good story. Mm. In style, it's really different because you're much more rewarded uh, into uh, into completing the game, but uh, it's still, uh, you know, the classic Ultima 7 engine. Right. Different style of game with the same engine, I think. Yeah. Was, was the game ever... Um re-released i mean you mentioned at the start that you bought a, a cd-rom which contained both part one and part two of ultimate yes. seven so i suppose that's already a re-release but yeah it was called ultimate seven the complete and uh it was a budget version too so yeah. maybe there was what can i say a big box full price compilation of uh, both ultimate seven uh but that's not the one i got the one i got had the just a small CD in a small case and uh, the PDF files uh, for the manuals. Right. Yeah. And and you you can get you can get the game now on like Steam and stuff. I think or you can get it on GOG. Right. GOG. Exactly. 
Um, but that's that's not really. They didn't really do anything for that release. It's just, yeah, a repackaged original version. Yeah, isn't it? it's not like a remake or anything. No, no, it's just uh, you can you can run it through Exalt, which is a way you know an open source engine. I think I think it's open source, uh, which oh. pretty much emulates, which it's kind of like ScumVM, but for uh, Ultima Seven. Exactly. Uh, it's an alternate way of playing it in high res, and it also has some uh, user interface improvements. But uh, you know, I played it originally through DOSBox, and I was more comfortable playing it that way. Hmm. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah. The, the fun thing, since um, we are talking about re-release, it was also ported uh, to the Super Nintendo, to the Super NES, ah. and it the port was just terrible because oh. uh, they streamlined. We pretty much tried to make it. Uh, a Zelda game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they removed the party. They removed, I think, the day and night schedules. Oh. Uh, they simplified the story. The sound was terrible. Yeah. You, you can look it up on YouTube. It's uh, it's a terrible, terrible game which still uses the Ultima Seven graphics and stories. It, it was it was okay. It was playable. To be fair, it wasn't as bad as Ultima Five on the on the NES. Yeah. If you want really terrible, try that. <laughs> I'm I'm reading here on Wikipedia that there's actually also a PlayStation portable version of of all that's uh, just the SNES one uh, emulated on a PSP. I think. Ah, right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, they didn't really. I guess the the, the Super NES version. That's the only real uh, like re-release or, or or other version they released officially. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. But it seems that the original DOS. That's just the ultimate version then that that's just the proper one uh, yeah mm. um now richard i know that often you have these old magazines with reviews and stuff uh do you have any of those for ultimate 7 as well perhaps i did i put a few on the forum a while back can i just have a look yeah that's always interesting when you scan in those old magazines and see what people were saying at the time you remind him I haven't done last month yet. I'll have to do that. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, so the one the one I remember at the reading at the time is this PC review one at the top of the post mm-hmm. where it got an incredibly low four out of ten. What? Why? So I think they got the bugged version, right? Where items were disappearing out of your invent- inventory, which I could imagine mm-hmm. could annoy you a bit. But that's amazing, though. That's, that is a different time than it is now. I mean, yeah. nowadays when a big game comes out, there's no way it would get a four out of ten because it had a few bugs. <laughs> that's just not how it would go down. It's also complaining that it's too big, which is not much of a complaint. But there you go. Uh, nowadays, games actually get patched, right? And it's easy to patch them. People are all connected to the net, to the internet, and you just push the, the update. Yeah. But if 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 you're a journalist, a games journalist, and you want to recommend a game to your audience or to your readers, and it's really bugged, and there's no real way for uh, for the for the uh, developers to get the patch out to people, then I'm not sure. I, I would probably be be hesitant to recommend it either. Mm. Yeah, you have to write off. I think they'd send you a disc if you wrote off. It, it could it could have been worse. I, was, I think there's some story about one of the five and a quarter versions having a disc duplicator sort of had some sort of seize up, and they only found it uh, on the last day before it was shipped. So they had to hold Oof. back that version. Oh man! Until they got it sorted out, well, that could have, that could have shipped. So it could have been worse. Mm. I'm reading now the PC review uh, one you mentioned, Richard. Yeah, it's really all about the bugs, isn't it? 
they they don't seem to have real complaints about the actual game. It's really just all the bugs that that's preventing them from enjoying it. It was it's a bit of a theme with Ultimas, I think. It's mm. it's quite I was half the series I think had some sort of bugs. Uh, Underworld two, there was some sort of thing where the servants would go on strike <laughs> and then refuse to do anything, so he couldn't finish the game mm. in certain circumstances. And then Ultima eight had its famous jump mechanics, okay, or whatever. The yeah, they thought it would be a good idea to implement platform jumping into Ultima eight. <laughs> With using mouse control, of course. <laughs> oh. They're also complaining that it requires over 20 megs on your hard drive, which is, of course, a lot in 92. It could be worse. It's better, not as many as Strike Commander a year later. So. Yeah, but still, I, I think at the time I had a 40 meg hard drive. That's like the whole thing I had. So this game would take over half of my entire disc. That's really something. <laughs> Yeah, but I, 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 don't know, I think people, I, I kind of expected it back then. Yeah. I think well, I think when Strike Commander came out, it was about 45 or 50 megs, so it was bigger than the actual hard drive. <laughs> yeah. It was the one that really rubbed it in. Yeah, when we when we discussed Strike Commander, um, it, was, it was mentioned that it took several years for people to actually have a system that could run it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, that's just how it is. Um, the other one is is more positive though the the PC Zone one, but that's more like a retrospective, or isn't it? Yeah, that's that was years after the fact. So they did a they did a series of sort of their favorite games that changed the world series. Right. So this is yeah. this is one of the ones that got picked up in that. Right. So yeah, that's a very different sort of article then. But there's, there's a PC Plus review which is contemporary, where they sort of joint review with that and Ultima Underworld and. It, Gave it five out of five. So. Mm, that's really good. So very mixed reviews then. People seeing the quality probably, but also being annoyed by the bugs. So I think I think system requirements are a bit of a thing with British. We were lagging miles behind the Americans. <laughs> uh, mm. If they couldn't run half of these Origin games, as Brits didn't have a cat in house chance. Right. That must have been a problem. I. It's it's there even in the. Um, the second one that's giving it a five out of five. What's that again? What What's the max? That's PC Plus. PC Plus, yeah. They're also complaining about the system requirements. You need a, th- a fast 386 with two megabytes of memory and it will run faster with four. So yeah, that's they were clearly struggling with, with those specifications. Yeah, it was par for the course with Origin. I mean, one of the things with Origin games is I, I mean, I'd always go back and either play them again Mm. with the settings all switched up or the way they were supposed to be played like years later. Yeah. All exactly. the sort of thing you'd buy, as soon as you got an upgrade, you'd go out and buy Strike Commander <laughs> or whatever so you could actually yeah. play it. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to imagine now, but four megabytes of RAM in 1992, that was a serious, that yeah. was really, really was probably a Probably a few hundred pounds just for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. People would not always have that, especially not on the children's computer. Like maybe... Yeah, maybe a, an office or a really big professional system would have that, but just a simple gaming system for a child, that's, yeah, that's asking yeah. asking a lot. Yeah, well, I remember playing Underworld with most of the textures turned off back then. That was my oh, experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> right, mixed reviews uh, at the time, although kind of also appreciating the contents, I think, for the most part. Yeah. So is that also the conclusion 
well, what's the experience now? I mean, all the bugs have been fixed and all the the system requirement stuff, that's all become irrelevant, hasn't it? So all that remains is the, is really the good part, I think. Yeah, I think it is now much easier to run thanks to uh, the GOG version. Uh, Exalt also has some user interface improvements. For example, mm-hmm. uh, you can use uh, the F key to feed your party, you know, instead of trying looking the backpacks of food. Right. Uh, there's also uh, a queuing, I believe, in the Exalt version, which... Uh, means you can just uh, use the keyring on the door and it will unlock it if you have a key. So it's now a much more playable game. Yeah, yeah. that is a huge improvement. That's yeah, that we actually introduced that was introduced in the expansion pack for part 2, wasn't it, the keyring if I remember right. Yeah. So they just sort of retrofitted it in. Is that the the forge of the virtue? Expansion. No, uh, Forge of Virtue is just an extra island uh, in uh, in Ultima Seven with a uh, with a quest that gets you uh, a talking sword or something. Hmm. I pretty much didn't play it, play it this year, so yeah, it's it's very short and it's not so great. Hmm. That's how it was. The first thing I did when I was playing this because you get if you complete these quests for that, you get you. It's basically like an authorized cheating mode, basically, yeah. is this. So you get all your stats bumped up beyond the maximum. What? And this t- and this talking sword, you can basically, it'll kill anything, but you just sort of s- s- tell it what you want to kill, and it'll just instantly kill it off as long as you've done enough combat to build it up. Oh, wow. So, so this, this is really aimed at people who have already beaten the game, probably. Well, it's a bit of an odd add-on in that sense, because if you've beaten the game, then you've kind of got no reason to go back to it yeah. to get these in the first place. Uh, huh. I, th- I thought I thought I'd rush in there and get bumped up all my stats, but the combat was absolutely killing me, so I think I should have left it, but <laughs> I ended up safe-spamming my way through. Right. So... So did you mention that there's actually two expansions then? I mean no, that, was for, that was for part two. Oh right. But it does influence the first one or not? Um or is it just standalone just No, for, it's just this for the just second, for the second one. part. Part two is standalone. Right. Okay. No, I thought for a minute that it patched also the first one. No, no. no. Okay. Okay, okay. So yeah, with all the quality of life improvements. That really makes the game really playable, like feeding your party and fetching the keys automatically, stuff like that. The game seems to be full of these small, annoying things in an otherwise pretty cool world. So mm. I guess that's true for a lot of these old games, though, to be honest. I think it has aged pretty well when you, you, you think about it. You know, it has annoyances, of course, but, uh, but not that much. Yeah. It's buggy, there's the party and the combat design, but. Uh, Otherwise, it's pretty, it feels almost modern, you know. It does appear quite modern, in a way. I mean, apart from the bizarre perspective. But yeah, yeah, definitely. It's not one of those really old, tile-based, older Ultima games. It's clearly a step up from that, so. No, it's it's quite accessible, I think. It's not, I didn't, I ignored walkthroughs this time around, and I can't say I remembered that much of it. From the first time around, you can make your way through it. Definitely, I, I really like the the open world aspects. Hmm. You can just head off in any direction you like. Yeah, yeah, and the characters also seem pretty helpful in explaining what they need and what the quests are. And yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, you need you need to make notes. It's mm. you need to sort of be prepared to remember your own quests and not have an arrow telling you where to go and that. But yeah, if you're good with that, I think it's still very accessible, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't beat the game myself. It's just just the first time I I played it, and I put maybe ten hours or so in. So yeah, it's really you need a lot of time to really explore everything and and get everything out of it. But I, I think that's true for all of these RPGs, to be honest. That's just the nature of these open world games is you can spend lots of lots of hours in them, which is also what makes them great, to be honest. Yeah, but so, entirely the, the appeal to me of the game back when. Uh, when I first played it, you yeah. know, the, the ability, there is so much to do, so much to explore, so much people to talk to. So, yeah, this definitely aged well. And uh, w- when you think about it, games like the Elder Scrolls series, uh, Skyrim, things like that, they basically took the formula. But uh, I, I think something was lost, you know. Uh, it, it feels pretty much like a theme park. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> the, the the characters are all there just to give you a quest or something like that. Yeah. It's not fleshed out as Ultima 7 with... There is a, how can I say, a, consist- a consistency of... Uh, uh, every character and everyone has a story, motivation, and uh, they interact with the other characters in towns. And uh, I think that there isn't so many games that try to do that, you know. Yeah, it seems really impressive, all in all. Yeah, it's it's. I think there's a lot of fans of this series in general, but also like the whole genre, the whole open-world RPG genre is just a huge thing now. And well, this is really one of those root games that made it all what it is nowadays so yeah i think if you're interested in this genre then definitely it's worth checking out where it all came from and this is one of those games that yeah a big step up in the whole in the whole genre development so um is there anything we missed or that is worth discussing about the game that we didn't talk about already we covered quite a lot i think I think uh, maybe we could talk, you know, very quickly about, uh, uh, since we're talking about the entire Ultima series, uh, Richard Garriott in the series tried to uh, put morals uh, in the story. Ultima 4 was pretty much the first game where where there was no bad guy, you know. Mm. You tried to become an avatar and things like that. Uh, Ultima 5 dealt with uh, extremism. And uh, how the eight virtues could be twisted through, uh, to be to do evil uh, if you uh, try to twist it in a certain way. Mm. Six was about racism, and uh, Ultima Seven. Uh, I think it was the Scientology which was uh, criticized uh, uh, in that game because you know you had that cult that pretends to do good to everyone. And uh, it turns out that uh, the ones who benefit are actually rich people and they are led uh, to, uh, if you spend a lot of money inside the fellowship, uh, they are led to know about the secrets behind it, the mythology behind it. Mm. Uh, I think it's fairly interesting how they try to touch real world issues uh, in uh, in that series. There is also a story about uh, a drug, drug abuse, I believe, uh, uh, in the town of Poe. Uh, there is also the, the gargoyles, which are a bit segregate, segregated in uh, Vesper and uh, Turfin. 
So I think it's also part of the appeal. It's uh, it, it tries to also tell something about uh, the the actual world. Right. It's like a social commentary. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. That's definitely cool. That's yeah. It's like Richard Garriott um, giving his opinion on things that are going on in the world, mm. and it's not just silly fantasy nonsense, but it's trying to say something real. That's, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I had that date back to, after Ultima, Ultima 3 got quite a bit of criticism because of the demon on the cover and sort of various Christian groups took offence at it, I gather. And if, with, mm. him, with him being his own company, he was actually seeing all the feedback, which he wasn't seeing with his games before that so much. So right. I think he set, set out with the virtues to sort of try and deliberately try and be something of a positive influence if he was going to sort of Basically, spend so, people are going to spend so much time playing these games that they actually had an influence on the on their lives. Speaking of a cover, I think the, the Ultima Seven box was pretty cool. It was just a black box, you know, uh, with Ultima Seven written on it. Mm. So there was no drawing on the cover or something like that. Uh, on the back of the box, of course, there were screenshots and the usual blurb. But uh, the, the front of the box was just black and written Ultima Seven on it. Yeah, they didn't. They even left the blurb off the back of the box. It's literally just a few screenshots. Oh, I think I read something ages ago about he had this vision of them piled up in stores in like looking like a big moon gate because oh. they've all been black, so sort of mirroring the black gate, which is the subtitle of the game. Mm-hmm. Awesome. He was going to do that with a trilogy, but it didn't. He never. It never sort of had a, had some theme planned out, but it obviously got dropped. I think that, yeah, they wanted the, the, the Ultima 7, the bugs wanted it to be black. Ultima 8, they wanted it to be red, and they did in yeah. a way because they yeah, had yeah. a pentagram and a fire of uh, Ultima 8. And uh, they wanted to uh, Ultima 9 Ascension to be blue, but uh, that didn't turn out uh, to be the case. Hmm. Right. So that wraps up Ultima then, I suppose. Uh, yeah, very cool. Did you have anything to add about the game, Florian? Uh, nothing that hasn't really been said. I mean, I didn't play the game as much as I should have to form an opinion. Mm. But everyone says that the bugs have been fixed and that you can play it in Exalt or something like that. Then I guess people should at least give it a try. I mean, it's not expensive or something, right? Yeah, and it's just in general a, a well-made game with a lot of love for the genre. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. And I'll probably continue my game anyway. I mean, I'm sort of in it now. So, yeah, seems cool. Um, So maybe we should talk about what's uh, going on, like, beyond Ultima then? Right. What what is? Well, maybe... (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'll I'll just do it. Um, You know, in in the last two months, we already had two more games because we're still a bit behind schedule, but we're trying to catch up which we have been promising for, mm-hmm. I think, a year now. But <laughs> We're, we're you know, trying. We're trying, guys. Oh. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. We're, we're, we're not falling further behind, so that's yeah. that's good. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> um, in January we played Worms, and yeah. we're going to record the episode about that soon. Yeah. Um, so maybe with that we will, we will actually catch up. Um, we just finished playing Nomad, which is a space space game. Uh, yeah, trading and also a story and and yeah, fighting cool and, stuff. Yeah, very cool. And since we just we just talked about fighting in space, um, that's another game uh, in March. 
Starting today, we're going to play Descent, which Ooh. is another fighting in space game. Yeah, it's sort of a shooter, isn't it? But it's also it's, a it's flight a, sim, sort of. Uh, I yeah, don't know. I think it's it's not really a flight sim. No, no you, okay. in, in flight sims, I guess you have to deal with with uh, with conservation of energy and and hmm. um, flight tra- trajectories and stuff like that. Okay. And in descent, it's it's really uh, shooter mechanics yeah. and shooter physics, just in six degrees of freedom. But you're in in sort of a a, 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 a plane yeah, sort a space, of thing, spacecraft. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And speaking of fighting in space, <laughs> uh, in April, we're going to play System Shock. <gasps> That's lots of uh, 3D first-person uh, action going on there. Yep. Uh, well, so not, yeah. not sure what's going to happen after it. Maybe maybe a 2D game or something. Yeah, something different. We'll, we'll think about it. But, uh, but I think even though both Descent and System Shock might be categorized as first-person shooters. They're I think entirely they're, different. Yeah, I think they're very different. Uh, the scent is really more an action game, and it's all about you know going upside down and and figuring out all these yeah going all over the place. And I think System Shock is more a story based game and more with environmental storytelling, finding logs and stuff. And yeah, it's it's a very different pace and very different feeling. So yeah, yeah. also different different kind of science fiction. So yeah, yeah. so yeah, and yeah. It's we don't know what we'll pick after that, so no something something different entirely. <laughs> yes, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what's going on. Um, if you enjoy this this DOS game stuff, then you can join us over on dosgameclub.com, which is our website where uh, we have forums. People are discussing the games. You can suggest new games. Um, there's also uh, an IRC chat channel where where we hang out and you can talk to us. And if you're not an IRC person, there's a, a, a web chat thing on our website as well. And if you are an IRC person, then you can just connect to Afternet, where we're called DOS Game Club. That's the name of the channel. And we're also called DOS Game Club on Twitter, where we uh, post updates and are just, well, that's our social media hangout spot. So you can follow us over there if you want to keep up to date with <laughs> the world of DOS gaming. <laughs> Well, and, and occasional polls, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We do sometimes do polls. We actually did one for this episode, so uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and and last but not least, if you're listening to us in a podcasting app, then we really appreciate if you leave a review, leave a comment, and yeah, we just love re- hearing from you. And and uh, yeah, that basically. You know? You know, we 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 keep saying that, but have you ever checked if anyone ever did? Because yeah, I never checked. I totally and and some people actually do leave. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll 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 look it up right now. But people do leave comments, and it's actually really nice. Huh. Um, here, this is on uh, on Apple, uh, where people said it's it's all five star reviews. Uh, Kanerum says has potential good so far this was posted back in 2018 and then in 2019 someone said this is my favorite game podcast this what? show is well paced and the format is fun and there's even a recent uh, comment from, from January uh, saying I really enjoy the way these guys structure the show they always have bits to discuss about the games and blah 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 so yeah People are all wow. really psyched. So uh, seems seems like we have the best listeners in the world. We do. We really do. Yeah. Uh, wow. So yeah, totally appreciate that. 
Um, yeah, that's it. I think. Uh, thanks a lot for for joining everyone and talking about the game with us on the show. So uh, yeah, much appreciated. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. <laughs> well, th- thanks a lot, and and hopefully see you again uh, in the future for more games. Right. Right. Sure. Yeah, def- definitely. I'll be playing this. Then. Yeah, man. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 Bye.